Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership, guitarist Jerome Ali, who along with his bass playing twin brother, Jimmy Ali, has most notably recorded on various P-Funk projects dating back to 1979. Throughout the years, the brothers have also shared the stage with Carlos Santana, Ray Charles, Natalie Cole, Earl Klug, Buddy Miles, the Doobie Brothers, Ronnie Laws, Bob James, Angela Bofield, and Lonnie Liston-Smith. The pair has most recently performed in Las Vegas as the Brothers Ali. Jerome, thank you for coming to the show. How are you? Fine. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Tom, it's an honor to be here. Well, it's my pleasure. And where are you coming to us from today? From Las Vegas, Henderson, Nevada. Henderson. So that's like, uh, for those that don't know, it's a suburb of uh, Vegas, basically, right? Yes. Yes. About 15, 20 minutes from the uh, downtown area or the Strip. Uh-huh. And um, how long have you lived out there? It's 25 years now. Wow. Going on 20 years. Yeah, it's been a while. Wow. It's been a, it's been a journey. Trust me, it's been a journey. <laughs> and, uh, Vegas is being, Vegas is changing as we speak. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, you, you have the distinction of uh, being the second set of twins on the show just in the past month because I recently had on the Scott brothers from the Whispers, and up until then, I had never had twins on the show. So it's like a trend now or something. Oh, man, wow. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> hey, we're truly honored. You know, even though Jimmy, I, well, I might say some things, of course, you know, that hopefully they're going to be good things. You know, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Growing up, we used to be kind of mischief in a way, you know, like interchanging classes and teacher didn't know who was who. <laughs> I always think, you know, it's got to be fun in, in some ways for sure, having a, a twin where you can do things like that. and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's got its advantages. So, you know, got to be careful, you know. You don't want to be mistaken for the wrong guy, you know. Yeah. Well, who's actually the oldest? Jimmy is 10 minutes older than me. So okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and where are you from originally? And, uh, you know, what was it like uh, growing up for you? Originally from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, born and raised there. Um, it was... Uh, Fun times, you know, especially in the 60s. I mean, you know, my mom and dad, uh, my mom was a Motown person. You know, my dad was a straight-ahead jazz guy. So we we had best of both worlds. We were listening to the Motown stuff, you know, all the hits. And, and you know, Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and Wes Montgomery to, you know, the Grand Green uh, to the Art Blakey uh, Ensemble, you know, those kind of guys. So we, we grew up listening. And my mom, she was a... You know, a lot of James Brown, you know, a lot of funk stuff back in the day. So, you know, it was, it was great to be able to be, you know, introduced to that music because today it's a challenge for some of these young kids. I mean, you know, they they don't really have the, um, the curriculum in schools anymore, you know, as they once had. You, know, you can go in and choose an instrument that, you know, as you know, we spoke earlier that you know, yourself and your son, you guys both play, you know, alto sax. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm quite sure you was probably introduced somewhere, either through your parents or probably in school, you know, you probably said, well, I want to play sax. My grandson, for instance, he wanted to play sax. So he wound up picking up uh, the, uh, the baritone sax. He said it was too hard for him, so, nevertheless. Yeah, you need a little more wind probably for the baritone. It's big too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you know. So uh, growing up, you know, how did you uh, sort of settle on that you would uh, play guitar and he would play bass and what what else did you play? Well, in the beginning, our parents wanted us to play instruments. I'll tell you the truth, I was not a big fan of the guitar at that time, at least I wasn't aware of that I wasn't uh, a fan of it, because I was introduced to so many just different horn players, you know, the Charlie Parker, my, my, my dad was a big fan of Charlie Parker, Jimmy uh, wanted to actually play drums, so we both, wanted, they both, my parents, they, they decided, well, we're going to buy you guys some guitars, you know, they bought classical guitars. You know, thinking maybe I was going to be the next Jose Feliciano or somebody. You know? But uh, uh, Jimmy and I had a discussion one one at one time. You know, growing up as kids, and I said, "Well, you're gonna have to play bass, man." You know, his story is always. I said that he was 
I was a better guitar player than he was. So he, need, he needed to play bass. We needed a bass player. So that's how he got a hold of the bass. And uh, it just kind of just went from there and just kept, you know, we were self-taught. It did take uh, a lesson, like through the summer over at M Studio in Detroit. Actually, Earl Clooney there at one time. He sat for uh, our teacher. She was, uh, I can't think of her name offhand, and I'm sorry, forgive me for that. But her brother was part of the Paul Butterfield Blues Band that played at Woodstock. And uh, I can't think of her name, but she was a, she was a very nice instructor. And uh, Earl stuffed for her one time, and, and it, was, it was it was an experience to be with Earl at that time. But we were just learning the basic pair, you know, the basics of, of the instrument, you know, the, the note notation and the fingering and what have you. And then I told my dad, I said, "Man, I can I can do this on my own," you know. But yeah, a little bit no, you know, it's, it's still a challenge. So, so how old were you guys when you started? Uh, maybe playing in front of anybody. Uh, probably about maybe 15, 16 years old, you know, something like that. Yeah, somewhere in that in, in, in that age bracket. And were you playing, you know, top forty or or R and B or what kind of stuff? We're doing all kinds of stuff, R&B, uh, a little bit of jazz stuff. Uh, we were doing like locals, some of the local stuff, you know, around town, you know, some of the AW halls or whatever you call them uh, back in the day. And we had a group, there. the group was called the Unleavened Bread. I think we were about yeah, oh, 16 at that time. And uh, doing some of the high school functions, some of the proms and stuff like that. Yeah. And who were some of your early, you know, favorites musically, uh, overall, and also guitar-wise? Overall, I tell you, Art Blakey was a big influence. Uh, John Coltrane, uh, Charlie Parker, of course. He was, I mean, you hear it all day. You know, uh, uh, Wes Montgomery. My father thought if I played like Wes, I would be great. You know, and that and that's still a challenge. So. Even though I admire Wes a whole lot, uh, Pat Martino, gosh, uh, Chick Corea, you know, great influence over the years. I remember we used to ride the bus and we would go on tour with George, you know, Arlette. We, uh, I would just have the headphones on listening to the Return to Forever, man. It was just something that I was just fascinated by. And uh, another guitarist by the name of Alan Holsworth that you don't hear much about even when he was, you know, very active at that time before his death. I mean, you know, I really truly missed that guy. I mean, he he was a major influence. You know, Jimi Hendrix was one of the top guys. You know, during our early, our early development, I see ours. Jimmy and I both early development because he loved Hendrix as well. You know, so um, gosh, the list is just infinite. You know. It goes on because I love so much different. I love Andre Segovia, you know. I listen to his stuff today. You know, I love classical music as well. So I try to not just be one-sided. You know, I love funk, I love jazz, I love rock, blues. BB King was a major influence as well. You know, Heck, you know, BB King can just tell the whole story, the history of music by just hitting one note, man. You know. Yeah. 
how how would you describe uh, Jimmy's uh, personality uh, compared to yours? I'm laid back. Uh, Jimmy is aggressive, and uh, that's a good thing. We kind of balance each other, you know, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. So, how much experience did you have before you connected for uh, Parlette, and how did that materialize? We did a, a radio uh, tribute to Jimi Hendrix at WDET here in Detroit. And um, the Mudbone of, of uh, uh, Bootsy's band, vocalists, um, heard the show. And uh, I had an opportunity to meet him through a gentleman by the name of Joel. I cannot think of his last name, but uh, he introduced us, and I gave him the tape. That's how that came about, and that tape materialized through to Jim Wright, that uh, was the drummer at first in Parlette. And so that's how I got involved with that. And then later on, uh, the bass seat changed. I got Jimmy in uh, to Parlette as well. So um, that's how we got involved with uh, the Pfon family. So did they just say, hey, we like this, come on in, or did you have to do an audition, or what? I didn't have to, <laughs> I didn't have to do an audition. Basically, Jim was like, this is the guy I want, because Gordon Carlton was actually, he's a guitarist. He's the guy that I was going to, I spoke about a little earlier on. He, he's like the grandfather of us all. He's, he's a great guitarist, man. He was the actual MD of the Parlette, and uh, he, he actually turned me on to the, to the gig, and um, that's how I got involved. It was supposed to have been another guitar player that was supposed to, to be part of this. His name is Carl Calloway. As he told me, he was supposed to you know, do the audition, but Jim Wright wanted me to be part of that, so that's how I got in. And if memory serves me right, I think the first Parlette record was like in 77, Pleasure Principle, and then um, they had three overall. Uh, where did you come into the picture for them? The, probably the third one because Jimmy wrote a song that's titled uh, Wolf Tickets. Okay, that yeah, was the third LP. I know there was Invasion of the Booty Snatchers yeah. and uh, the other one, uh, the one you just mentioned, Pleasure Principle. Yeah, and then Play Me or Trade Me was the second one. Right, exactly. Yes, yeah. Those were some good times, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. What What was it like? Um, you know, when you got in there, uh, did you play uh, live first or in studio first or what? We played live first. Our first gig, I think, was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and uh, that was a fun gig. Man. It was a fun gig. Yeah. Then we did some other gigs where I think Luther Vandross changed. They opened up for us. Uh, we did Soldier Field. Uh, in Illinois, Chicago, that was a good gig. That was a huge gig, and we did uh, L.A. Coliseum. Huge event, great. I think Bootsy Bootsy was on that gig. Uh, I think Radio Ray Parker was on that gig. His band, because we know Arnell, he's a singer. He's from Detroit, and he was part of that that, that group as well. Radio. Yeah, our, he's he's been on the show too. Yeah, good guy. Yeah. Um, I saw that show at the uh, Los Angeles Forum, which had Enchantment and uh, Radio and Bootsy, but not um, Parlette. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
what was it like when you first, you know, had to play with the group? Were you, uh, did you fall right in line or were you intimidated or what? I, yeah, because we were all like neighborhood buddies. So it was more like, you know, there's no need. It wasn't no strangers or anything. And Gordon Carlton, he, he, he's, he's the head guy. He's running the show, you know, being the band director. And, you know, me and him were real close. So we were neighborhood friends. He lived right around the corner from me. So, you know, uh, it was actually no stress at all. Well, that's good. You don't want stress yeah. when you, you know, stress and funk, they don't go together. So, you know. <laughs> That's right, my brother. You're right. That's right. No fun when you have that happen. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what about, I mean, you were on stage in front of so many people on some of those shows. And, uh, you know, what was that scene like? And what, was it, what were the other guys like? The other guys were fine. Andre Wilson, keyboard player. Manning Salzburg, keyboard player. Kenny Colton, the drummer. My brother, Jimmy. Um, gosh. Janice Carlton, she she was a percussionist. Everybody knew each other, and it was fun. We were there to support the girls, so it, it was it was no stress. I mean, rehearsals were fun. You know, we had we had wonderful times at the rehearsal. So when we got on stage, that was a reflection of it. We were able to just go out and have a good time and hope the audience, hey, we gave them you know some good music, and uh, hey, we just had a great time. Hey, who were the who who were the three girls at that time, Jerome? Uh, Shirley Hayden, Jeanette Washington, and they're gonna kill me, man, for not remembering this. Um, Janice, now she's married. Now I can't think of her former name, but her name her name is Janice Magruder. Janice Evans. That's Evans. Her. Yeah, Rudy was part of um, the uh, the brides. Okay. Yeah. 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 Was it uh, a challenge to learn any of that material? No, uh, it was fun. It was it was fun. It, no, it wasn't a challenge to learn it. It was different because I was listening to, and I don't. I hate to say it like this, but. You know, the music that I was brought up around and introduced to and the things that I was trying to, to learn at that time was more challenging than, you know, some of the simplicity of the things that they, they were doing, which was great music, don't get me wrong. And it was the stuff, the tunes that was composed to the, the, the individuals that composed that music. It was they were great songs. It's just, for me, it was fun. It was fun. More, more feel than, yeah. you know, right. anything. Yeah. Um, and were the P-Funk horns part of that, or who was doing the horns? Uh, far as the, far as the sessions are concerned, yeah. But uh, far as the live things, it was just basically just a basic, the basic rhythm section. You know, no horns were involved at that time. You know. Mm -hmm. And before that, you know, how into and how much exposure had you had to, you know, the P-Funk Empire? Uh, just records, you know, back when Eddie Hazel was part of it, uh, Maggot Brain, uh, America Eats is Young, you know, stuff like that. I wasn't really 
you know, an avid listener to that, to that, so to speak, you know. But the closest thing I had to something real funky was out. It was always James Brown for me. Um, but after I got involved with 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 the organization, with with Problem Funkadelic, you know, you paid more attention to it, you know. And uh, and I enjoyed it. The music is great, so, you know. Had you ever seen, you know, any of the Mothership shows before before that? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Flashlight first came out. Yeah, we were always invited. And that's during the time of the development of the, the rhythm section for Parlay, you know. They would invite us down to the shows and we would watch. And, you know, it was inspiring, you know. And we had the opportunity to go overseas, you know, over to London and, uh, you know, Germany. Uh, we went to Paris. So that was fun. It's fun too. So yeah, we had we, we were able to see that every night, you know. Parlet warm Parlet warmed up the brides and the brides warmed up, you know, Parliament. So yeah. And did you get in the studio at some point? Yeah. Um, we got a chance to record quite a few things. But uh, it was some of the things that Jimmy and I wrote together, and you know, some of the things that he wrote. And some of the other guys in the group, uh, you know, we were able to go in and cut some of that stuff. And uh, I actually re recorded one of the songs, but I really wish I could have access to some of those master tapes, you know. <laughs> which, 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 <laughs> we, a lot of us would like access to some of those, those tapes <laughs> just to hear them, you know, if nothing else. I know, man. I know. Um, but you know, I, so but you were playing on some of the the recording of Invasion of the Booty Snatchers as well. Yeah, I can't remember. I would have to. You know, I don't even have a. The sad thing is, I don't have a CD. You know, any music okay. Well, your, your credits show it, so I want to yeah. make sure. Yeah. Even um, some of the you know the Parliament stuff. You know, we did some of the stuff that uh, appears on some of those those recordings as well. So, yeah, I don't, I might have a few of those CDs, but I don't have any of the Parlette stuff. Who was kind of leading the, the studio sessions when you went in? Uh, Ronald Dunbar at the time. You know, he was he was instrumental in that. And, um, and then some of the stuff that we cut, they, they just allowed us. And there was a time that the talk was that Oh, you guys won't be able to get a chance to go in and cut anything. I mean, that conversation just came up, you know, uh, through 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 the manager at that time. But after George heard what we had to offer, that changed the whole scope of things. You know? What was it like uh, meeting George? Uh, what, what impression did you have of him? Maybe at first, and then you know, eventually, did that change? It never changed. I mean, it's always been the high esteem, high high respect, you know. It's always been that. I've always, you know, regardless to whatever happened to what individual it may be, but for me, it's always been, because I was brought up that way. I mean, you know, I it was respect from the beginning, you know. And did you, did you get to meet people like Bernie Worrell or Bootsy yeah. or? Oh yeah, same thing for them as well. You know, just high respect and, and, and respect what what they what they, you know, uh, 
lay down, you know, musically, and what the, you know, that sort of thing. So it, it, those guys were great, great guys, man. Yeah. And uh, and Gary Scheider and oh, Gary, yeah, Gary was yeah, that's the story. Gary came, P Funk came here and they played um, the Luxor here in Vegas. And uh, a friend of mine, we went over to Luxor to have lunch. And uh, <laughs> Gary, I can say this now, he was the road manager at that at, at that time. You know, they were actually sitting there eating at the buffet. And we walked in and Gary recognized me. Gary got up and fell to his knees and grabbed my ankles and said, oh, I cannot believe this is you, Jerome. You have to come in and sit in tonight. You have, and uh, I did. I did. It was. It was. It, we had a great time. Actually, Gary, my wife, and a friend of mine and his wife, we stayed at the Luxor until the sun came up, till you know eight, eight, nine o'clock in the morning, just talking, just talking about old times. Yeah, I missed that guy. I missed that guy. He was great. That's great. Um... What, was there anybody that you came across that really impressed you uh, with their chops uh, in the studio or on stage related to P-Funk in particular? Uh, well, yeah, sure, sure. All those guys, really, you know, they're great. But Dennis, Dennis Chambers was uh, an exception, you know. And, uh, it's been a while since I've spoke to him, but we, we used to talk even after that. I mean, we stayed in contact constantly. And uh, amazing chops, you know, amazing chops. And, uh, you know, him and uh, Kenny Colton was uh, the drummer for Parlet. Uh, a lot of similarities, you know. And uh, with Kenny, Kenny, Kenny has passed on. And um, miss him a whole, he was, he's, he was like a brother. You know, we grew up together as well. But uh, he had amazing chops as well, you know. Um, Andre Wilson, uh, another. He played sax and keyboards. I mean, he was phenomenal. He had, he has passed on to uh, Manning Sosby, another uh, great keyboard saxophone player. These guys were phenomenal guys, you know. Um, yeah, Bernie was was an exception too. He was he was great, you know. Yeah, I mean the list just goes on. It's it's just amazing. Even the horn section, horn section, something I can't fit in, and I can't think of the other guy's name. Craig uh, Boyer. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Did Did any of those guys sort of uh, take you under their wing at all, to any extent, or you know, some of those guys had been doing it for a while? Yeah, you know, I no, you know, I. I it seems like it was. Sometimes I have to say this. It seems like. For me, you know, I'm a very laid-back person. I'm quiet. I'm humble. My thing is, is it's not like the, the, the that, that's a good question. You know, taking you under their wings. I think it was more competitive because people were more fearful of position. You know, whereas I was young at that time, and it was just a I have gratitude. I was grateful to be part of. You know, something that was 
actually it was it was already formed before we got there, but just to be part of something that could actually even take your your career to another level, you know. But you know, I I wish it was unified like that, you know. But unfortunately, it wasn't. It was more people more fearful of the fact that oh, I'm worried about my position, so I'm not going to really help you, you know. You know, mm -hmm. there's some things that I recorded with the horny horns that's got somebody else's name on it, but it's actually me playing. Mm -hmm. You know, or I'm going to get, uh, okay, you put your part on here, but I'm going to get it erased. You know, I hate to, to condescend, you know, you know, our, our conversation, but, you know, those things did happen. You know, those mm -hmm. things happen. I mean, you know, people... They want to pretend like you know, you know you're, we're we're cool, but you know in reality, you know I'm I'm more so like concerned about my positions. I don't want to lose my position, but I wasn't looking at it like that because I was just like passing through, hoping that this might allow Jimmy and I to kind of go further, you know, in what we were trying to do. You know, because I because I actually grew up. I mean, like I said, I mean, growing up, growing up listening to jazz and having those roots, you know, that those kind of elements appear in your in your composing if you're composing, you know. But I enjoy composing, and, and, it, and that's a challenge still today. You know, I've been writing a lot of stuff and kind of like cataloging this stuff. My wife is like, you know, when are you going to put it out? You know, well, it takes time. Did, did you and your brother, uh, while you were, you know, associated with P-Funk, uh, go off on your own at all and kind of do some, you know, groove creation and then, you know, think, hey, let's bring that into the studio? Sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jimmy is currently doing a lot of that now. Man. I mean, it's really, really super funky, man. It's like, you know. And uh, Jimmy was actually in contact with George probably, it's been probably about maybe two to three years ago, before Dunbar had passed away, because Dunbar was actually, they were trying to connect, you know, Jimmy and his wife, you know, and uh, get them going. And uh, I don't know what happened, you know, but, but the stuff Jimmy has musically is, it's all, it, it, it's coming from that whole, whole vibe, you know. So, yeah. Well, when you talk about being competitive, I could see particularly at that time because that was like right as the P-Funk Empire was hit its zenith and then it started to, you know, go down. And so I think at that time, a lot of people were kind of maybe seeing that a little bit and it got kind of like too big to like manage or something, you know, and it was Great. sort of like a runaway train in a way. <laughs> you know, so I could see people just, you know, trying to grasp on and, and get there, you know, right. so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand. I, I get it, too. I get it. And when I uh, look at your list of credits here, like I say, I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff, you know, that's not listed that you're involved with because so many of the players experience that. Yes. Um, and, 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 I mean, to be fair, there's so much going on. It'd be, I'm sure, very challenging to accurately document all of it. Right. That's you right. know, 
But um, besides the parlette, um, the trombipulation, um, the uh, Electric Spanking War Babies album, right. um, some of the uh, stuff that came out later, the um, Family Series stuff. Yeah. And, um, but all the way through the uh, Dope Dogs and also the uh, Shake the Gate that came out in 2014 so was some of that stuff just kind of in the uh, can for a long time and it got pulled out by George or yeah yes 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 that's what happened you know because uh, you mentioned the family series that we a song that I, I, I composed that was really an ideal was never actually completed okay uh, and it was a song that I was actually working on to dedicate to Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix. So, but they heard it, or George heard it, and they liked it enough to be able to go ahead and put it out, you know. And the way I found out about it, I didn't find out about it till you know, there was a record store at that time that uh, everybody went to, uh, entitled uh, Harmony House. And uh, one of the actual uh, chefs, from over at Doug's Body Shop, bought the CD, and Jimmy was playing with Norma Jean Bell in the All Stars at that time, <clears throat> and went. He purchased it, and but he told Jimmy about it, and he told me about it, so we went and bought it, and that's how we found out about it. And then, of course, eventually we went over to the studio and we talked to Greg Riley about it, which was part of that, you know, that session at that time, and he knew more about the logistics of it, so, you know, and. From there, we 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 managed to figure out what was right, you know. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Is that a little bittersweet because you're sort of glad that it maybe saw some light of day and people yeah. can know about it, but at the same time you want it done right. Yeah, exactly. It's bittersweet. Yeah, I can't. I'm not complaining. I'm happy that it was released, and even with some of the autobiography things that that you know the books that. Was you know, we have our names in in the book, you know, and uh, we're, we're truly grateful, you know. And I'm felt I have to mention one more person. Uh, Ron Ford was a big force, you know, uh, during the time he used to come over our dad's house, and um, man, we we would come over with some of the craziest stuff, man, some of the craziest grooves, man, and, and we would go in and actually cut some of this stuff, you know. And uh, where it is now, it's on the shelf somewhere, you know. So, yeah, he he was he, yeah yeah he was a great guy. Well, it's great to to hear about uh, people like Ron Ford and Ron Dunbar because you know those are some of the lesser sung uh, people that were part of the whole enterprise. Um, so I'm glad that you can share whatever you can about folks like that so viewers you know know a little bit more about them sure, sure. yeah absolutely, absolutely. Were, were most of those uh things recorded at, at united sound or yeah some of the things probably were edited or probably overdubbed at united but primarily the things that we were working on were actually recorded over at um uh super disc so did you just do the, the one tour with Parlette, or did you go out on the road some more? Actually, uh, 
Yeah, we just did the one tour with Parlette. I mean, we did some, you know, there was some date that uh, we did outside of Parliament of Funkadelic when we were on the road with them, but we did some tours that Dunbar started actually doing some stuff, you know, from state to state, you know, and um, it worked out pretty good, you know, for the, for the most part of it, you know, it worked out okay. Then eventually, of course, the, the group just fell apart. You know, I saw an interview, and I saw this interview a long time ago, um, where Jeanette Washington was talking about basically the group was a tax write-off, you know. So, but, hey, I guess that's part of the business, I guess, you know. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's sad for them. I mean, it would have been nice to keep it going, and I know Shirley Hayden has recently uh, reached out and mentioned something about reforming the group, you know, the girls and stuff, but they have uh, some other folks, musicians, that might be involved with trying to help them do that, so I don't know the extent of it, if it's taking, you know, the next step for that to happen. That'd be great to hear some of those tunes because I saw P-Funk several times in the 70s and Parlette was not at those shows. I saw the Brides even. I would love to have seen Parlette. I mean, yeah. there's some great tracks on those records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, a, I must say, the group was a, it was a power hitter, man. It was decent. And I'm not trying to float my own boat, but the group as a whole, when we went out, it was well-polished. So, how did you find out, you know, that you weren't going to be doing any more P-Funk-related work, and, you know, what, what transpired? A lot of the, well, the way, just, if I recall correctly, it seems like there was a, there was an office that they had in, in, in the uh, suburbs of Detroit, I think, I think that's, yeah, that's Southfield. And it's called Thing Productions. And what happened was that uh, we would go down and, you know, like right now, you know, everybody's trying to get their stimulus check. You know, you're trying to get your stimulus money so you can keep your keep your your life going. And uh, unfortunately, it just fell apart. It just disassembled completely. I mean, it wasn't a notice that you got that okay, well, this is. You know, everybody started trying to find other work. Andre, at that time, when, you know, Andre Wilson, the keyboard player, he actually, he started playing with Michael Henderson, you know. Um, Manning, I don't know exactly what happened to him at that time. Uh, everybody else was just trying to stay afloat and, and find other things and try to stay busy, you know. And then we wound up forming the Top 40 band, actually. Some of the members from Parlet, Gordon, myself, Jimmy, uh, and we also had another brother by the name of Ron Smith. His father was Bobby Smith with the Spinners. He's a guitar player, a great friend that passed away. And um, we all put a band together just to stay busy, you know, and was that, trying to work on material. Every was that 81 or 82 or what year? 82. 82. Yeah, 82, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy times, right? Yes, 
Yeah. But crazy times, but good times, because you know that I call it the days of innocence. You know, you, you at that time, you know, before a little bit before I got married, you know, and uh, I've been married for 40 years now. So Congratulations. Like, thank you. And you're living, you know, with your parents and stuff, and you don't see the complexities of what, what, you, what life is all about yet. You know, you, you're still, you know, you're still naive behind the ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it wasn't too tough, but yet, even though I was on my own, though, you know, I speak for some of the other guys, too, because they were still with their parents and what have you. But, you know, it could have been worse. But, uh, but just being just diligent and just seeking to continue on as a musician, it's been a challenge. And but you know, hey, it it, it has this, it works it works it's working out it's working out okay. Positives and negatives. You know. did, did you ever get the opportunity to to be in the studio when George was in the studio? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, down at United Sound and uh, uh, Superdisc. Yeah, actually, yeah, both times. Yeah. Yeah. So, in your opinion, what is at the crux of what has made George uh, considered by many to be a genius? I think timing is everything. You know, I think timing is everything. You know. You know? His, his his calling was you know at that time and it was and the timing was perfect and, and the purpose of his life was already preordained you know destined for him to do what he does you know and he does it well and just as a conceptualist right yes yeah. And and somebody who could bring bring performances out of people, I guess. Absolutely. Some someone like Miles Davis, you know, just push you to the limit, you know, and uh, cause you to you know to be able to express yourself, you know, in such a way that you didn't even know you had that in you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's it's great, you know. Yeah. For you stylistically, uh, Jerome. Do you uh, enjoy more of uh, rhythmic playing or lead playing or, or which? Both, because both of them are important, you know. Um, solos come from chord progressions or rhythmic, you know, phrases, you know. They, they go hand in hand, you know. Yeah, yeah. So being a low-key guy, do you uh, get your uh, exhibitionist side out being on stage or, or how's that work? I think it, yeah, I think it does, you know, and it's just an expression. You, you, be able to, you get the opportunity to express yourself and how you feel inside, and hopefully it channels over to, to where the people can, they receive it, you know, it goes into their soul, man, you know, and they can feel it, so yeah. yeah. It's funny, you know, how many people seem like they're so, so outgoing and, and, and all about the limelight on stage, but off stage they're like totally opposite. <laughs> right? right, right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right, brother. That's yeah. right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I mentioned a lot of other famous names um, in the intro. Can you 
Can you talk about some of those people? How did you uh, come in contact with them? And what were some of the, the highlights after uh, P-Funk? Oh, gosh. Um, Buddy Miles, I know Jimmy did a gig when he was playing with Norman Jean Bell and the All-Stars. So Buddy and Carlos came in, and they actually sat in with Norman Jean Bell and the All-Stars. Earl, Jimmy played with Earl Cook. Um, did a tour and did an ILP with Earl. Um, gosh. Uh, who else? I wanted to say Carolyn Franklin. That wasn't, you know, we should probably put Carolyn Franklin goes back to Reeves Franklin. So we go back a long ways. You know, she saw Jimmy and I walking down the street with guitars. And she lived not too far from where we lived at that on the northwest side of Detroit. And uh, we were walking down the street. She said, Can you guys play? And she, you know, I Jimmy and I looked at each other and was like, well, I guess so. She said, well, can you come in and play something for me? So we went in and we played something for her. She asked, well, would you be interested in doing some recording with me? And we said, well, of course. And, you know, and the story goes on a little longer than that, it's a little deeper than that. But we uh, wound up doing some recording with Aretha's sister for a while, man. She was a beautiful person, man. We enjoyed her. Um, Bobby Lyle, I had a chance to play with Bobby Lyle. Keep, Yes, you know that's that's current. He currently has something new out. I heard on the radio, and uh, we did a I did a concert with him in Toledo, that was really nice. Um, and uh, wow, and like I say, George George is and you know it's a wonderful this is a wonderful opportunity to be part of that, you know that history. Did you get to meet uh, or spend any time with any of their guitar players in P Funk? You know, the Ed Hazel, Michael Hampton, Blackbird. I did meet Eddie. I met Eddie. Uh, where were we at? It seemed like we were in Winston Salem. It might have been there. And uh, we were both backstage. Actually, it was a trailer home that we were in, and uh, it was just him and I. And uh, we were talking, but he was crying, man, and he was upset. But he said about the contract that he had signed it signed with Motown. <clears throat> but he wanted to get out of it. And you know, I kinda touched him and told him, I said, Man, it's comfy. Just hang in there, you know. And then after that, and shortly after that he passed away. Um, Mike Hampton, uh, we, we we spoke briefly, you know. This he, he's 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 a nice he's nice man. You know, I just haven't had the opportunity to spend you know, quality time with any of those guys, you know, and Ski, you know, Curtis, you know, he's, he's a great basis man, and he's a nice guy, and we got along well, you know. Um, not any quality quality time with any of the guys, man, you know, mm. fortunately, you know. Kind of goes back to what I was saying a little earlier, I didn't want to, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But, the competitive you know, thing, yeah. Yeah, the competitive and the whole the hope that you know no no one no one takes you know my position and not knowing we weren't there for that and I can speak for the rest of the guys too everybody was there it was more of a opportunity because they could have went off and got gigs with anybody else I mean that's how talented these guys are and were you know so you know it's, it wasn't like that they 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 read into it wrong <laughs> you know? we could have been the best of friends you know. And that's the problem now. People are afraid to help each other, you know? Mm. Yeah. 
That's a shame. Hate to hear that. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I was thinking as we were talking about somebody like, you know, Skeet maybe taking Jimmy Ender's wing or that kind of thing, you know. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, Jimmy is not like that either. You know, it's one of those things that you know do anything to help anybody, and that's that's how we are. You know, if there's a, a gig or something, and I can't do it, you know, I'll turn the next guy on to it. You know. So you. Uh, did your uh, migration to Vegas in, in 2002 is what I show. Is that right? No, well, 97. 97. And um, what prompted that? Did you already have like a, uh, something lined up, or did you have dreams of something? Or? No, no, actually, my wife and I came out on a vacation, and we said, you know what, well, let's do something totally different. Let's go off the strip. Let's just go look at some houses. Let's go look at some homes, you know? And um, we went to look, and that seed was planted at that time. We bought a newspaper on the way home, and we were looking in the newspaper, and we were looking at, you know, differences as far as taxes and stuff like that, and cost of home and cost of living. So it sparked this, it, it planted that seed, and we decided to come back out and do some more, you know, investigation, investigate what was happening. And that led into this talk and discussion of just moving, you know. And then we needed to move because, see, at that time, you know, she was she was diagnosed with sarcoidosis. So, you know, and we needed to be in a dry climate, you know. And uh, that helped out a whole lot. So, you know, we... Uh, and then, of course, the aspect of being a musician, you know, that kind of led into you know, well, it's time to go look for a gig or something, you know. And at that time, Scott, you can man, you can find a gig just about anywhere, you know. You can walk into any casino, and if you're a musician, you can audition if somebody was looking for somebody or, you know, put your put a card out there, lay a card, and you'll get a call. And that's kind of what happened, man. And, uh, you know, I didn't have to look back after a while, man. I was working so much, I wanted to stop working, you know. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, I know. But now you <laughs> now with the COVID, you know, it's like, you know, with the pandemic, it's like you you wish, yeah, that you could be doing some of the things you were doing because Jimmy and I started doing a lot of corporate events and uh, we used to play for Michael Jordan for about seven seven or eight years in a row and it was fun. You know? What kind of material would you do? A lot of, a lot of uh, I won't say straight ahead jazz, a lot of the commercial jazz. And we did some straight ahead jazz stuff. And we did some funk stuff. We did some commercial stuff. You know, it wasn't P-funk stuff, but it was funk. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, wait, well, did Jimmy come out at the same time, or how did that work? No, he came out a few years after. Yeah, yeah. He came out. Actually, we, we hooked up on the Disney Cruise Line. We did that for a while, you know? And uh, then after that, we had a drummer by the name of Rick Beeman. That's another brother, great musician, man. Great drummer. Uh, we all played on the Disney Cruise Line, and we left there, and we came, well, Jimmy and Rick came out, and we formed a trio. And that's when we got with the agency, the Steve Byers agency. And uh, we started doing some of the corporate stuff. And uh, that that's been 
standing the test of time, so to speak, and it's been going on and on and on. So, but now, all come to a halt. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure, like everyone else, when this first started a year ago, you're thinking, "Yeah, it'll be a few weeks, just uh, have a little break, <laughs> right?" Well, wishful thinking, you know. I understand. Is is it's it's still here with us, right? It's going to be a while. Yeah, I don't know what it's like out there. Uh, they're just, um, you know, we're still waiting for vaccines here, but right. Yeah. yeah. So as as the brothers Ali, um, did you guys ever uh, do backing to other performers or just kind of your own thing? Kind of. Well, when we were here, Jimmy has done some stuff with some other people. I can't think of the name of uh, the acts, but uh, he's done some things, and um, we've actually done some things with some smooth jazz guys. I just can't the saxophone player. You know, uh, we backed up a few people. Yeah, but primarily it's been just us as a duo. It started out as a trio, you know, kind of morphed into, you know, um, the quartet, and then with the finances being what they are, you know, it, it, it kind of went down to a duo with tracks, you know, so. Which and is when, when, when you just, when, when you just play for yourself, what do you like to play? Oh, man. Everything. <laughs> Everything. Everything. Everything I can think of. So, you know. But uh like I say, I love I love listening to classical music. I'm a big fan of Andre Segovia. You know, I have a nylon string and I play that and you know just all kinds of music. It's, you know, I try not to be one sided, you know. So I, you know, it's, it's hard to just be. Some people look at this is all I do. You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a purist when it comes to jazz. I'm a purist when it comes to rock or whatever. I mean, I like everything. There's a, my collection houses all kinds of music. You know, it'd be crazy for me to be one-sided. You know, so I have some funk. I have some jazz. I got classical music. You know, I got rock. I got blues. Well, I always say, you know, no matter what style you mostly play, it behooves you to, you know, be up on all of those styles and genres because it can better inform whatever you're doing. Absolutely. And it can keep you in a working position too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, you just be one-sided. That's all you're going to get calls for is jazz, you know. If, you, if, you, if you're playing a funk, you won't get a call for, for doing jazz, you know. And... Uh, not that I'm going to call from the, the Philharmonic Orchestra, but still, I mean, you know, it's, I love the music, so. What, what's your uh, main go-to instrument? This is, right now, because acoustically I can, I can hear it, you know. You know, I can hear it, but. Um, Looks like a George Benson model. It's a it's a copy. It's actually it's a lawsuit. It's a lawsuit guitar that's uh, L five, you know, copy of an L five that I've been It's nineteen seventy seven. Um, it's kind of hard. I mean, I have amps, but they're small amps. You know, back in the day, we used to play through Marshalls and stuff like that. You know, V fours, Ampeg V fours, and Marshall cabinets and stuff. So, play pretty loud. So, but it's kind of hard to do that nowadays. You know, in the neighborhood we live in and 
you know, a lot of the stuff is they got so many amp modeling, you know, tools that you can use nowadays to get that same application and that same sound, you know, when you're recording and stuff. So I'm kind of working on some of that stuff too. I don't want to, I don't want to leave that out. Well, this time off from live performance, I mean, is that, you know, kind of uh, inspired you to maybe do some recording? Yeah, I've been recording off and on, you know, it's just, it's been hard, you know, because you have to, you know, the bills have to be met, you know, demands are, are there for that. Um, it's, and it's, you got to be inspired to do it. You know, some people think that being a musician, oh, yeah, sure, I just want to turn the, you know, the thing on and, and turn the computer on and or the recorder on and, and just go at it, you know. You have to be inspired to write about something, to record something. You have to have that, that, uh, that initial you know, spark, go and spark and do something, man, you know, that, okay, I got this idea, like I was walking around the house probably last month, and I came up with a song, and, uh, you know, out of many that I have, but it's something that I was just noodling around on the thing, and I said, wow, this is a, this could be a nice idea, so I cultivated it a little bit, and each day we came, and you know, and then now I got something. I, I, I don't I don't have a complete arrangement on it, but it's getting close. You know, but uh, and I want to get I want to eventually get you some of those things so you can have and you can listen to it. And, you know, and you can share it. You know, so bring it on, man. Yeah, I'm working on it, brother. So. <laughs> <laughs> working on it. I'll li I'll try to light an extra spark for you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Um, we've been, my wife and I, we've been working on some, you know, just our house and stuff, so it's, it's been kind of like consuming me with that, so I haven't had a chance to get back in and, and, and really kind of like finalize things, so. Got a lot of compositions, got some cover stuff that I've been working on, some jazz stuff, so people's ears can kind of be drawn in, you know, through that and kind of like focus and say, okay, well, let me hear some of your original stuff, you know, so. You know, some of the stuff is, uh. It's, 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 it's come along. It's come along. Do you have a, a tip for an aspiring guitar player? Just keep playing. Just keep studying. Just listen to a lot of music. Um, just don't, you know, what you don't want to do is get caught up into just being one-sided, you know. You know, just even though you can become great, you know, at that, but... Just don't limit yourself, you know? Always keep those ears open, right? That's right. Just and and your open ears. Just open ears and open heart, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You said it, and that's right. Open ears, open heart, you know, and um, just have the love for the thing. And that's what you got to love the music. Not just doing it because the money's there, or you can make money, or you can have a girlfriend this week and another one next week. You know, you 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 got to love what you, what you do. You know. Yeah. Is there um, a, a website or anything that you'd like to uh, get out there for keeping up with uh, what you guys might be doing, and especially as the pandemic finally lifts? We can be. You can see us on Facebook. You know. Jerome Ali or Jimmy Ali, you know, Jerome Ali twin. 
Hey, well, Jerome, it's been so much fun. Thank you for the stories and thank you for all the music you've given us. Thank you, Scott. Much love to you, brother. Thank you so much for having me and we hope that we can do this again in the future, okay? Absolutely. Be well, my friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the Media Services section at FunkinStuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at FunkinStuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.